you're listening to the Black Side Fun. And hello, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Michael Hawes, here with uh, co-host Josh Spencer Green. Hello. And uh, a guest host, Mike Riggs. Hey, what's up? So, Mr. Green, uh, let it. Ah, uh, well, I'm an uh, uh, blah, 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 blah. A freelance. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at my fucking Twitter. Um, I am a freelance animator um, by trade and by night. I am a skeptic of the paranormal. Ooh, a skeptic. That's what we need on this show. And uh, Mike Riggs, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, I am actually skeptic by day and night. I don't think it's okay <laughs> to let your guard down during the day, but uh, I, and, uh, I'm, I'm in the tech point. industry. <laughs> I work, I, I'm, in, uh, I'm in software. I'm in the tech industry. Oh, that's awesome. Do you do anything on the yeah. side? Um, I, I, like, I like to dabble in... Uh, <laughs> I'm a dabbler. <laughs> like, maybe you know. <laughs> no stand-up com- comedian at all. No. Uh, I know nothing about this. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I want to be skeptical of that. <laughs> I'm skeptical. See? See, look at this. You're already learning on this spot. You, you're skeptical by day now. Look at this. Damn, thank you. We're all growing as people. Oh, yeah. Appreciate this. We're growing. We gotta have this guy on the show more often. I'm Michael Hawes. I'm a film director, film writer uh, by night. At night, I work at a grocery store, keeping people fed. (laughs) Um, But as myself, someone who's really into the paranormal, not just blindly believing, but also would like to know the truth. Uh, I'm not one of those guys who's like, oh, yep, yep, conspiracy theory. Oh, the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning lost. Stop. Ah, conspiracy theory. No, I, 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 I love the stuff that goes bump in the night, but I'm also a skeptic to a lot of the reports of the bumps in the night. And and this show is for the audience out there. This show is a show about the paranormal, about cryptozoology, UFOs, um, astral projection, spiritual, anything that uh, we. General journey into the unknown. The unknown. And yeah. that's uh, like best. we want to believe, but not so badly that we think they're putting frogs gay. Yes. Correct. Very true. Correct. Correct. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we want to believe in like like the sexy Fox Mulder way. Right. Absolutely. And Alex Jones, we know you're listening to us because, you know, why wouldn't you be? <laughs> Got a lot of yeah, free time. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, well, no, he probably doesn't because he's probably getting a nine-to-five job now since he's broke. Um, anyway. One can only hope. Into the news. So, first in the news, the Pentagon announces new UFO investigation unit known as the Airborne uh, Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group. And uh, that is an AOIMSG. The new unit will serve as a successor to the U.S.'s Navy Unidentified Aerial According to a release by the Department of Defense, the AOIMSG 
I was calling AIM for short. We'll synchronize yeah. right. efforts across the department and the broader <laughs> yeah, U.S. government. Mechanics. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, such a terrible. Like, yeah. How did you? How did you really like UFO? Like that rolls off the tongue, you know, CIA, NSA. But then you got like the the AO AIMOMS. G, <laughs> mp3 right <laughs> mp3 <laughs> yeah. or like what like really you couldn't figure out something a little more or at least something that kind of like you know like nafta like i get it you know it's, it's like a lump but like you can like make a word out of it and verbalize it this is just yeah. like oh it's the amos that's 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 very bad my my thing is it's just like no offense to U.S. government, but for no, the maximum people, offense to the U.S. government. The maximum offense. Which for we people, know you're listening. Yeah, I'm we not, know you're yeah, listening. We yeah. know you're hypothetical. <laughs> that isn't hypothetical. <laughs> <laughs> for my FBI agent who's listening to me. <laughs> right. Um, my thing is for the government that a lot of people have, have accused for covering up UFOs, I don't really trust them into investigating the UFOs. Yeah, they, it, it, they find something and it's like, uh, admit that, Carl. <laughs> Don't release uh, that information. It feels it feels like a very, um, you know, like when your sit you down to like to discuss like a you know like the call home from school. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. very like staged and like we get this. You don't want to have this conversation either. But like here we are. It's it's a certain. Uh, like you're snooping around and trying to find out what we're up to. So like, we're just going to be super transparent and we're going to give you some freebies and it's like, okay, but we know that you're not actually going to publish real results. Right. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's very like they released all the stuff they had and it was very lackluster and it just really just, <sighs> shallow effort you know yeah, like right. it's hey almost, guys, like, a, almost no, like a conspiracy theorist fan service you know yeah right, or, or right. like a, yeah, a yeah. cow determining the usda you know it's like of course they're going to cover up or change stuff yeah it's i don't know i just feel like that is a terrible idea that's why i like mufon mufon is an independent they have no c political connection to anything and there's just a group of people trying to Find the truth, and they what, and what's called a MUFON or the Mutual UFO Network. Um, they they go out and they do research on UFO sightings, and they will debunk find no evidence of of the UFO, and they'll even claim a UFO, but not necessarily UFO is literally an unidentified flying object, and. Right. Yes, and that's where I feel like where I would get my UFO information from is someone who's out there going, "We're after the truth, not spring right. spacemen." Someone who knows how to verbalize an acronym. <laughs> yes. Say, yeah. Like MUFON. Oh yeah, got it. Okay, MUFON. Like I, I think that it's not AOMSKI. It's really <laughs> common for like, um, like I don't, I don't want to say just like fans of the genre, but like people who peer into the paranormal or um, like, or just enjoy investigating the unknown. I feel like it has become synonymous that UFO means green spaceman. And we live in an age where if you just take like a half of a step back and look at the, the bigger picture, it's not 
inconceivable that governments would be spying on one another in some such way that there may be aircraft and like satellites and drones like we live in the age of drone so like yeah unidentified spacecraft uh, or aircraft rather it could be um it could be anything you know so like i feel like it's it's very uh you you have this like line drawn in the sand when you talk about ufos where people are like oh yeah green space band that they, they don't exist you know yeah but then and, uh you have so the then, other half that's like yeah but the truth is out there but there really there should be this like middle ground to understand like yeah i mean there's there's got to be aircraft roaming around all the fucking time that we can't identify because yeah. it's not like countries don't have some sort of uh agenda to collect data or observe yeah. each other you know right you think about like like sputnik you know the very first satellite to go up like that was was mind-boggling you know what i mean like people right. rushed to the great yeah because they had no idea what was possible so if we have drones now they like, surely it does kind of beg the question like i mean how long did we have drones you know yeah. like yeah yeah you know before they you can buy one at walmart how how long did you know the u.s government had drones going going over us yeah right. basically you know, yeah. basic surveillance yeah 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 all right our next story is rover to investigate mystery cube-shaped object on the moon i actually saw this on the cbs and yeah, China's V2 rover has set sights on a very strange object in the distance. There's been a lot of claims about anomaly objects in the lunar surface. by China's U2 rover appears to be a real, the real thing, uh, exhibiting a distinctive cube sitting on the moon. The mysterious object has attracted the attention of Chinese scientists, American scientists. Since sent the rover all the way over to investigate exactly what it is. The fact is it's situated on the hidden far side of the moon only serves to heighten the intrigue. So that's what Bono's up to these days. <laughs> <laughs> you do, too. You do, too. <laughs> <laughs> My thing it's is, this, this could be space debris. I mean, think about all the boxes yeah. and junk. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I would yeah. have to be. Um, yeah. Especially it if it's like, very sensationalist. Yeah, if they have... Uh, if it's if it's geometrically sound, you know, like a, it's a, it's a fucking square, like uh, undeniably, but the only things floating around out there that would hold that shape would be something that like we've constructed, and there there is like we've got like an asteroid field of <laughs> space yeah. debris just kind of yeah floating around true. here. And, and, and the thing is too, I mean, I hope. The former yeah. trash can to the, the cosmonauts or something. The Allspark. Maybe it's maybe it's the first piece of trash that Jeff Bezos has shipped into space because that's yeah. his plan. Yeah. yeah. All um, hail Lord Bezos. Lord. We know you're listening, Jeff, you piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it could be uh uh just like space trash and yeah, my first thought doesn't immediately go to like, oh no, it's a dumpster from uh, Zoltan. From these... Right, another dimension. Right. Yeah. Um, Just a so like... better garbage disposal. Yeah. It is fascinating though that uh, there are, there are world governments that are interested in observing it though, because if it were simply, 
if it were simply space debris, I feel like they would have got some results a little faster. So there, there is the, the intrigue of like, okay, so we assume that it must be, uh, you know, human made debris, but why, why the world intrigue, you know, like that, yeah. that, that little bit of question is very interesting to me. Yeah. See, cause also, you know, I feel like soon we will, uh, I'm sure they're sending the probe over, but pretty soon they're going to come up and just be like, Oh no, it's an Amazon box. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I can see the memes now. Yeah. I can see the memes now. <laughs> There's a discarded, like leftover half eaten child because we know that's how <laughs> Bezos sustains himself. Sustain himself. <laughs> All right, here, here's more comical news right here. I, I'm sorry, I gotta... So, the singer, songwriter... Well, I doubt she writes her own songs. Um, has a new UFO show out. I, yeah. I did... You know what? I heard about this. And I do think that... Well, you know what? Hey, like, so does the guy from Blink-182. Like, Tom, yeah. whatever his name is. He's Tom got his, uh, he's Oh, the, that's true. He's, he's the got... biggest UFOologist yeah. in the country. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it is kind of cool. It's a for him. It's weird. It's crazy. But her show, though, is called Unidentified. And I just feel when I first saw that, I was like, "Oh, is it a show about being trans?" I don't. I don't know. Wait, how? How is that name? That specific name? How has that not been coined yet, though? Yeah, and and uh, actually, I've seen a movie called Unidentified. It was a documentary about UFOs. But I guess it's called Unidentified with Demi Lovato as the full title. So, eh, I mean, it's okay. very out of left field how it's like if someone was like, hey, there's a new UFO show with a special guest ho- or a special host, and you- immediately my mind would not to go to Timmy Lovato. Yeah, okay, yeah. that's that's a fair point. That is, um, yeah, that, that I is would just... be, that'd be like the last fucking name. <laughs> yeah, if someone said Timmy Lovato, I'm like, what is this, an Onion article? Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, yes, that's, yeah. Good comparison. Yes, I do. I think it's interesting though that, like, you know, you get to a certain point of success through through whatever means, entertainment, let's say, and then you get to that point where you're like, well, I've got this money and I want to know, you know, for for the government, the various world governments to just kind of like release information. No, like I don't know. Let's let's. How much does a telescope cost? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah. let's see what we can do. I don't know. Like, I, I think it's interesting. I do think that we need to findings with some some serious assault because obviously you know there, there's an awful lot of like, like first half of the battle interpreting is the second yeah, so right. you know like like any any idiot can look through found this immediate ufo it's like well yeah. okay sure but like why do we trust you like well i have these professional right. equipment and monitors and you're like well yeah but do you know how to like interpret that data like i don't like that's not yeah you know or it's, or it's like but it's, it's interesting you know, you know hey, the more she... people out there asking questions, the better, I guess. Yeah, and and you know, maybe she's just like us. Maybe, yeah, attunement for the paranormal Twitch. Right. I <laughs> yeah. think it's there's something like poetic in it that this this is an endeavor to seek a paranormal phenomena or like the unknown phenomena or perhaps alien phenomena. Um, but what I gather from this is it's actually a a rare peek at the humanity of a celebrity 
I mean, she's yeah. obviously a household name. So it's interesting to see like, oh, yeah. So she has these, you know, these just honest behind the curtain curiosities. You know, she could be just another fan of the material as any Tom Dick Jane, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, her yeah. breakout role was literally a movie called Ghost. So. Ugh. Oh, I did not know that. Oh no, it's Demi Moore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus, wrong, wrong Demi. <laughs> Fair enough. Sorry, sorry, Demi Moore. <laughs> Demi, we know you're listening, so we're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. Um, and that's uh it for the news. Um, you guys want to jump in? And... Yeah, I'll, uh... yeah, let's let's do it. All right, I'm, uh, I'm ready to rock. Um, All right, <clears throat> are uh, either of you fellas uh, familiar with the the tale of Ellen Moore? No, I've heard it pronounced Aileen Moore or Eileen Moore. Also, I'm I'm going to refer to it as Ellen Moore, and I apologize to uh, anybody who knows better or otherwise. Uh, um, the 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 Isle of uh, Ellen Moore is uh, one of the seven Flannan Isles off the west coast of Scotland. Oops. And there there was a lighthouse uh, posted there uh, that became operational in uh, December of 1899. And it's pretty pretty well known that uh, three lighthouse operators vanished mysteriously from yeah uh the following year and uh in 1900 so i've got beef with the story um it's it's kind of a it's a little bit like a low-key famous ghost story almost and there's like a lot of skepticism around uh what happened with the uh the lighthouse operators but then there's uh there's like conspiracy theories about like giant seagulls, you know, coming down and snatching the guys. Uh, <laughs> and uh, are you saying that that's unlikely? <laughs> <laughs> so here's my beef. <clears throat> um, after the data is collected and uh, the uh, the investigation by the uh, the Northern Lighthouse Board was conducted um the superintendent robert muirhead performed this investigation after these gentlemen vanished and the investigation took like all of 10 days and their summarization of it was uh they got washed away with waves (laughs) and it's just like (laughs) it just makes like very little sense. So I'm not saying that giant seagulls got them or like aliens abducted them or that they were uh, captured by like foreign invaders or anything like that. Um, There was a lot of sensationalism about the story and uh, like ghost stories and theories and stuff produced about the tale after the the poem uh, Flannan Isle was published by Wilford Wilson Gibson in 1912. 
so there was a lot of like fog and mystery um, basically passed by word of mouth and it became this sort of ghost story um, <clears throat> with information about one of the lighthouse keepers uh, strange journal entries leading up to the alleged disappearance of the men. So I'll just start with the names of the uh, the fellas that that disappeared. There was the uh, the principal, the principal keeper, who's basically the the guy running things there, James Ducat. Uh, he had a, a first assistant, um, or what what is officially labeled as second assistant, but it was his first right hand, uh, Thomas Marshall, who allegedly kept this mysterious journal log. Um, and there was what they referred to as an OLK, or an occasional lighthouse keeper, Donald MacArthur. Uh, Donald MacArthur was brought on as a substitute for William Ross because he fell ill and had to be replaced. So William Ross got sick and, you know, on a dark note, I guess was lucky that he got sick because the three men that manned that lighthouse in uh, December of 1900 vanished without a trace. Oh, man. So we'll start uh, as early as they have uh, information on this. So uh, December uh, 14th, 1900, the watch changes as normal for the lighthouse. And the lighthouse had been uh, operational for a year. And about every 30 days, there's a changeover of teams that usually consists of, or typically consists of three uh, men to man the operation. And they run in shifts throughout the evening. I believe it's uh, six hour shifts that they run. Uh, and they take turns. And their their only job, like they're, you, you got one job. Their one job <laughs> is just keep that lighthouse running minute to minute, all night long, for any ships that are running transatlantic, they know that there's rocks there because, like, again, it's Alan Moore is one of seven isles. Yeah, it's isles. Scot Scotland, which is famous for rocky shores. Exactly, yes. And <clears throat> excuse me, I was drinking. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> on December 14th, the watch changes and there was inclement weather in the region that would on occasion obscure the view of the lighthouse. So the Northern Lighthouse Board, the NLB, um, they were in charge of establishing all the protocols and basically all the observational and operational uh, logistics were found and governed by this board. They tasked uh, on the nearby Isle of Lewis, uh, they tasked, uh, let's see, Roderick McKenzie, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Roderick McKenzie was stationed on the nearby Isle of Lewis to observe Ellen Moore and observe the lighthouse. And if anything were to uh, go wrong with the lighthouse or signals raised, then he was to notify the board so that emergency measures could be taken. 
because throughout this report, and I read the entire like official report by Superintendent Robert Muirhead, and it's a pretty lengthy uh, read. <clears throat> um, it's pretty clear that this lighthouse was incredibly important to trade. Like its position geographically is, it's like of dire consequence if ships can't see the light passing by these aisles. And I mean, not just because like it's, you know, uh, the weather is inclement and the weather or in, in wintertime and the rocks are, you know, pretty shitty up there anyways, but like, yeah. this specific lighthouse was uh, erected because it's, it's a super important location for trade. So my beef with this story after these gentlemen disappear and the report is made, <clears throat> it takes uh, 10 days to, uh, to complete the report. Um, Superintendent Robert Muirhead, he does the investigation, performs the investigation. And they settle on, they must have just been washed away. I got beef with that because <laughs> there was there was one oil coat left in the lighthouse. And I mean, obviously, there's three sets of oil coats that keep the, the gentlemen uh, dry while they're performing duties on the coastline. And there's a there's a, an east landing and a west landing to the rock <laughs> that has uh, gear and stuff for mooring ships and receiving um, supplies and whatnot. And <clears throat> on the the west landing. In this report, they find that the railing was warped and uh, and damaged, um, almost beyond repair, and one of the life buoys was missing. And two of the three oil coats that keep these guys dry while they're performing duties is are missing. So clearly two guys went out and one oil coat is left, but all three fellows were missing, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because if, if the three guys were just washed away, right? Let's, let's explore this. Like three guys are washed away off the, uh, performing their duties. All three guys would have had their gear on. Yeah, that makes so, sense. Right. So Robert Muirhead's assessment is that uh, two of them went out to work at the same time um, and protocol dictated that there had to be somebody at the lighthouse at all times, day or night, whether it was operational or like actually operating the light or not. Someone had to be in the lighthouse. Yeah. And all three gentlemen stayed in the bunk at the base of the lighthouse. So his assessment was two gentlemen went out, they took their coats, uh, were performing duties, making sure that all the mooring ropes and whatnot were in place at the west landing, prepared for any ships to arrive, and that <clears throat> um, the, the third person back, like left at the lighthouse, must have observed a large wave and went to warn the other two 
and then they all got swept away. That is his, that's his official report. So like, <laughs> I've got right. some issues with that report. It took him 10 days to put together this, like, as I assess it, a kind of a cockamamie uh, assessment, like from his perception. But what boggles my mind is the negligence on the Northern Lighthouse board <clears throat> on their behalf. They, uh, they tasked this, uh, that Roderick McKenzie guy to watch the aisle. And these, uh, these three gentlemen, they go missing at, uh, let me double check the date here. Yeah, so Roderick McKenzie, he, he sees the light on the 7th of December. And then because of bad weather, uh, like inclement weather that hadn't been recorded uh, until that point and hasn't, weather of that magnitude hasn't even been recorded since. It was, it was that bad. He sees the light briefly on the 12th, and then he doesn't see the, this is, this is Roderick McKenzie's report that he gives to Muirhead, you know, during his investigation, because he's gathering all the facts, Muirhead is. <clears throat> he sees the light briefly on the 12th, but not again until the 29th. Ooh, that's a pretty <laughs> large. Uh... Yes, it's a huge <laughs> window. And. And so Muirhead's like, all right, so what were the protocols that you were given by the NLB and what defines red flags? Because that seems like a pretty huge red flag to me. And Roderick McKenzie, Roderick McKenzie uh, details that he was told that if a uh, a rocket was fired, a flare, they referred to them as rockets then, um, if a rocket was fired or otherwise an emergency signal flag was raised, then he was then to telegram the NLB. Rockets, red glare, I just got that. <laughs> <laughs> but he yeah. wasn't, it wasn't detailed in his... Um, and his instructions to contact them for anything else. So <laughs> here's this lighthouse that's super important. And everybody knows it's super important. Here's how important it is. When uh, Muirhead finds that there's uh, there's nobody on, on, on the shore, uh, teams of individuals are left interim on the island until they can figure out the investigation. Uh, there is uh, the Hesperus, a relief vessel, leaves five individuals on this rock interim until they can figure out what's going on. I'll get more into that in a little bit. But just to give you an example of like, they're like, oh, my God, this was really important. You know, let's leave extra people here to make sure that this is taken care of and the light keeps shining while we figure this out. Yet the board, like the directors of this whole operation were like, uh yeah so here's your job mr mckenzie uh watch the uh watch that lighthouse and if they raise a flag let us know but uh you know whatever it just seems <laughs> it seems like just astonishingly negligent so yeah. as a result the light goes dark for that huge expanse we're talking weeks 
weeks, the guy's not seeing the light. And he's just like, I don't know, it must be the weather. On top of this, what's even worse is that <clears throat> even though Roderick McKenzie was tasked with this uh, by the NLB, he was paid. You know, it's it's documented. Yeah. He actually had his two sons watching the lighthouse and not himself. Like he was just kind of monitoring here and there, but like he tasked his, he delegated his sons to actually take care of this. And he actually had to, uh, Muirhead, uh, Robert Muirhead, superintendent ended up having to talk to his sons instead because they had more information on what, what was seen and what wasn't seen. And again, that's that there's like this glaring fucking negligence. Yeah. It seems, seems like it's like a, large oversight for someone who's not supposed to have a large oversight. Yeah, and it gets worse. So, uh, see, the uh, the SS Arctur that was uh, passing over from Philadelphia here to Scotland, hmm. on the, uh, the midnight, it was passing by this where the lighthouse should have been um, on the midnight of the 15th of December. And they saw no light. So the Arctur docks on the 17th um, in, in Scotland. And the captain of the Arctur doesn't make a report about the lighthouse not being visible until the morning of the 18th, the next day. So, like, this guy is coming by and he's like, wow, there should be a lighthouse here. That's really important. I don't see anything, though. Oh, well. <laughs> and then days later, Doesn't days later like lands. Okay, they make landing, and then, and instead of you know like the moment they're basically roping up at the docks and connecting, making connection, instead of saying like, "Hey, uh, the lighthouse was not was not burning," like there, we we saw nothing. <laughs> he sleeps on it. <laughs> He's like, "Ah, I'll sleep on it. I'll make a report in the morning." Gets worse. Wow. He makes the report the morning of the 18th, <laughs> which is sent via mail, and the statement doesn't reach the NLB for another 10 days after that. Jesus. Yes. So this this incredibly important task that's um, literally can mean life and death and is obviously pertinent to trade transatlantic there. Um, it's... The, the 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 negligence is just like it's beyond me. So <clears throat> these gentlemen vanish. Uh, Robert Muirhead dictates that uh, two two of the men must have been performing duties. Uh, a third goes to warn them because of bad weather, and they all just got washed away. Sorry, fam. It just it it left so much room for the ghost stories to emerge. And after that poem uh, was published by Wilfred Wilson Gibson in 1912, you can imagine the ghost stories started, you know, running sensational. Yeah. Um, there was rumors that, uh, that Thomas Marshall with his log, there was rumors and stories that circulated about his journal entries. And I'll read you the journal entries that, that circulated here, but they have been since uh, debunked in that in Robert Muirhead's official report, there is no mention of Thomas Marshall's log. 
And again, huh. I read the whole report. I personally did not see anything about this log, but this was here. It was rumored that on the 12th of December, Marshall notes the severe winds, likes of which never seen. James has been very quiet and MacArthur had been crying. <laughs> Donald MacArthur was, uh, was a pretty well-known like bar brawler and alleged to be a kind of a volatile drunk. Um, and he, he was the occasional, he was the substitute. So like, he's not a regular lighthouse keeper, but he's trained on the islands in case somebody falls ill, he takes up the reins, so to speak. Um, so he was probably a volatile presence anyways, but he was known as like a seafaring man. He was a tough guy. And this note that, uh, MacArthur had been crying was just like suspect um, because, you know, MacArthur was a seasoned mariner. Yeah. Uh, on the 13th of December, the notes say, or alleged, storm still raging. All three men have been praying. And Ooh. on the 15th of December, storm ended, sea calm, God is over all. Huh. And then the following day, uh, they disappear, which is interesting because um, the actual log details that all of the chores and things that needed to be attended to up till 1 p.m. on a given day were taken care of um, the day that the men went missing, and Robert Muirhead saw that. So in his investigation, he sees that like up till 1 p.m., all the duties had been taken care of. And then in the afternoon, all three men must have gotten washed away by a wave. And that's that's his report. <laughs> um, the skeptics of the story, uh, the skeptics of the sensational stuff like uh, YouTuber George, Georgia Marie, um, writer Keith McCloskey author of The Lighthouse, The Mystery of the Ellen Moore Lighthouse Keepers, um, writer John Love. These skeptics are all pointing to the fact that like, yeah, but in his report that that strange, those strange journal entries didn't actually, there's no real report of those strange journal entries. So like, this isn't paranormal. They probably all just got washed away and they, they buy it. Like they, they're like, all right, so the report is what it is. And I get that. I get the perception that like, we don't have any better idea what happened to him. So yeah, they just got uh, blown away by the wind, <laughs> but there's, again, there's a few things wrong with this. Yeah. There is no mention of Thomas Marshall's log. Um, and, and, you know, the keepers always kept a log. There's no mention of Thomas Marshall's log in the report. And uh, I found that actually disconcerting because this guy, he's a superintendent. He comes in, he's performing an investigation. He's interviewed, people on the nearby Isle of Lewis. He's interviewed um, everybody else involved, all persons that uh, could have information about this. He went to the island himself. He looked through all the stuff, right? But there is no mention of the log. And this guy took 10 days to assess what had happened, right? You see, what yeah. had happened was... What had and, happened? Right. And he has no mention of the log. And the skeptics are like, yeah, see all that... It's not it's not paranormal. It's not supernatural because like all that log stuff is bullshit. All right, that's fine. 
But in an actual assessment, why is there no mention of the law? Yeah. So, like, I've, you know, I'm not going to criticize this dude. I don't know him, but I'm going to criticize this dude because I don't know him. <laughs> and sure. I feel like, yeah. again, this is fucking negligence. Again, it's just there's piles of negligence on top of something that was supposed to be so fucking important. And, like, it's not that I disagree with their methods it's like they disagreed with their methods <laughs> because <laughs> the uh the hesperus the the relief vessel um that made its rounds every 30 days to bring supplies to all the the lighthouses on the islands and whatnot um due to inclement weather um the hesperus wasn't able to uh, make its trip until Boxing Day, the 26th of December. So they were a little behind uh, getting supplies to uh, to the lighthouses and whatnot. And the Hesperus, that relief vessel, when they get to uh, Ellen Moore, the, the lighthouse flag that's supposed to be raised to expect relief in, in protocol uh, was not raised. And... Huh. Uh, this gentleman, Joseph Moore, from the Hesperus, uh, then, like, physically climbs the rocks. They kind of sidle up the ship because they can't they can't moor. They don't have help to uh, connect with ropes and whatnot. So they, like, sidle up to the island. And this dude basically, like, scales the rocks oh, to the wow. island, this Joseph Moore. And, like, he goes in thinking, like, oh, shit, you know, the flag's not right, uh, raised, so what's up? And then he's the one that discovers, you know, nobody's home you know the the whole island is abandoned and the <laughs> island really only had the lighthouse on it and this small abandoned church on the other side of it um he found no signs of the men so then a telegram is sent uh, on the 26th from the hesperus and it's received same day so the hesperus could communicate but like literally no one else in this fucking story <laughs> communicates this incredibly important task so these dudes just disappear and everyone's just like huh what did they do oh, oh they're gone oh. and then they're like uh <laughs> they uh they got washed away and that's <laughs> that's the assessment and i don't know it's the foreign invaders thing and like that those the conspiracy theories i'm sure you know obviously they're not like the best alternative but they uh most of the skeptics that I have observed consider this case open and shut. Um, but I, I find that hard to believe. Like, I'm not saying that obviously, you know, green spacemen drop down and grab the, the fellas. Yeah. But I mean, it could chalk down to him be murder. Like, you know, they right. might've get murdered and they covered it up and just said, Oh, no, no, nothing to see here. They got washed away. So yeah. throw the bodies overboard. Yeah. And the, uh, the bodies were, were never found high tide or low in the rocks. So mm. wherever they went, they, they, they super went, you know? Yeah. And yeah. So there was, there was some, uh, there was some light theory that um, due to Donald MacArthur's volatile past, that there may have been a confrontation and uh, that confrontation went outside, so to speak. And that's why one of the coats was left. Mm. Um, but then, you know, if that's, if two people are still wearing coats at that point, now you're thinking that it's like conspiracy to murder because yeah. two people would have been involved and like, all right, let's, let's throw this guy out. Or yeah. 
you know, an altercation took place inside the lighthouse, they cleaned it up and then chucked said body out over the rocks. But then why did the other two guys disappear? There's just so many questions and you can go in, in a circle on this. Well, here's a theory. What if they got into the scuffle with the dude? Dude was killed. They disposed of the body. And are you, what year did this take place? 1900 even. 1900? Well, yeah. 1900s, I mean, they could have been like, hey, we're getting the heck out of Dodge. And it's so easy to disappear. You know, they yeah. go to a different country. And yeah, boom, they could have bing, split bing, Yeah, Right. Yeah. And... It's also, I feel like it's really easy to just lie about not finding bodies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no one didn't find bodies. They didn't find any bodies. They disappeared because nobody wants to go. Like maybe yeah, like it was a big like. I mean, let's face it. There's a whole movie called The Lighthouse. Lighthouse work is not typically associated with like healthy working conditions and like mind and body. Well, you know what yeah. I mean? Like this right. is this is you out alone. Set up while you were talking. It's it's this like tiny little island that's like floating. Yes. You're fucking a boat to get to. Like that's. Yep. It's anxiety city right there. Yeah, that's... and they only get supplies, a resupply every month. And that's if right. you're lucky. Like like I yeah. said, you know, uh, the Hesperus was delayed several days because of the bad weather. So there's this huge window where you got to imagine uh, anything can go wrong. And yeah. that, that, that like doubles down on my beef with the Northern Lighthouse Board and they're like, glaring negligence hiring uh roderick mckenzie on the isle of lewis and giving him instructions to be like yeah so we know that the there's a there's a bunch of shitty weather this time of year every year this year is particularly volatile weather uh your instructions are to uh you know if they raise a flag let us know but um if you don't see it i mean fuck it am i right you know and and that (laughs) just oh my god it just it it fucking infuriated me the deeper i read into this um initially when i was reading into the story i was i had discovered the sensational stories and um i was like wow this is you know fascinating and there's uh there's elements of of intrigue here with the 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 mysticism of it and then when i found that it was debunked by several sources with you know the information that they had presented um and namely Robert Muirhead's report, um, I was, I was kind of let down because I was like, all right, so this is, they have, they have a conclusion to this, but upon a third inspection of the story myself, I'm like, ah, ah, this still, no, this isn't solved. Like this is like, this is like wrapped up with the loosest of bows just to what appears to me, keep officials hands clean of whatever might've really transpired. But, I mean, Muirhead says that when he inspected the lighthouse, there was no signs of any sort of struggle or altercation or anything inside the lighthouse. It's just yeah. just an easy vanishing. And, you know, yeah, Wave's got him. And it's like, okay, so <laughs> Wave got one guy, and the other guy was like, oh, no, I'll, I'll help you. And the Wave gets him. And then the third and guy the goes, third oh, guy. no, I'll help you. This sounds like the fucking, like, South Sharknado Park. 5. <laughs> you know? Sharknado yeah, five. yes, it does. Uh, one last detail um, that uh, was uncovered was that Thomas Marshall, um, the second assistant, the, the guy assisting James Ducott, he was a regular. Uh, he was one keeping the log. He had a uh, 
a past of negligence. He was actually fined um, a significant fine um, for negligence in not packing the mooring ropes and materials in a box at the landing correctly before. <laughs> so this led to Muirhead's theory that, okay, so Thomas Marshall had already been fined. So he didn't want, he wanted to cover his ass. So he went out in shitty weather to make sure that the supplies were where they needed to be stored in a box that's hanging by a, a small crane at the landing. Huh. And that's when he must have been overtaken by a wave or a, a gust of wind. Um, only that the storms, the directions that the storms were uh, rolling in at the time would have had the wind blowing inland. So his assessment was, uh, although it's theorized that wind could have taken the men, I find it personally to be impossible because the wind would have blown them inland, as I suspect. But Instead, I think a rogue wave got him. <laughs> and that's, that's the hard stop for me. I'm just like, what? So, so fucking the waves took on a mind of their own and systematically picked off three fucking dudes. So <laughs> I just feel like it's their their bow wrapped on this is dirty. That's my yeah, opinion. Yeah, it's a dirty bow. It was like Aquaman's got a sniper wave. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'll take that. You know, and like the skeptics of it, and I appreciate the skepticism, obviously. I'm a skeptic. It, the, everybody just buys it like, oh, yeah, see, this is just what happened. And I'm like, I mean, I appreciate that you don't want to think that it was mermaids and giant seagulls. I get that. Uh, but this isn't as clean as they want it to be. Like, it's it's not just this. There is something more here. We just got lazy with the reporting after that, and it's been a hundred years so how are we going to know otherwise yeah. did, did labs continue to operate like normal operations after they finished with all the quote-unquote investigations i mean did they just yeah yeah they just resumed resume function yep yeah see that's just it seems like something not good happened and rather than like let people know who are so what happened to the last guy oh they all murdered each other like right, yeah. you know like they just kind of like yeah. oh no we did a full investigation and i don't know just crazy weird stuff it sounds like yeah. they just fell in the water like right and oh, that's yeah, Cthulhu yeah. and his army appeared and uh sw- ate them whole oh but don't worry you're yeah. good <laughs> right yeah, like I'm, no one's no yeah. one's gonna tell you the you know himself to death you know what i mean like right. it's, it's, they're just gonna say like oh yeah well they got careless and and reckless so you know safety first and you know <laughs> video and right. you'll be fine <laughs> but yeah it's yeah and on, on that training. note, uh, oddly enough, like Robert Muirhead, you know, he's the superintendent performing the uh, the investigation. He was actually the last guy to see the three men as well. Oh, that's so like when they when they journeyed out on the seventh of December, um, when they were going to the uh, to the aisle, he was the last guy to like send them off. You know, he was like, "All right, all right, boys." We'll see you soon, you know, and he performs the uh, inspection of the grounds officially to turn into the <laughs> Northern Lighthouse Board before that, like his procedure yeah, is like, all right, I'm going to check everything. All right, boys, you're good to go. Claps his hands and then just, you know, goes on about things. So he would have had um, data to relate to when he was inspecting the second time around when there was nobody home <laughs> and in his inspection he he details that uh 
the, the those railings that were warped was on the west landing. Um, the railings were warped on the west landing, and that life buoy was missing, like I said. But the crane on the west landing was Gucci. It was fine. Like, there was nothing <laughs> wrong with the crane that was, like, hanging off the rocks. So, again, Rogue Wave, Rogue Wave, like, smashed <laughs> the guys off the rocks, uh, I, apparently warped the railing, and then, like, uh, one pictured... guy tries to life buoy. But the but the crane hanging off the rocks, no, that was fine. No, no. What? Fine. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, it's like, yeah, like, Aquaman sniper wave. Like, yeah. come on. So I, I pictured I like the guys on the boat and they're like, all right, we'll see you in seven days. And the guy screams, no, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? Nothing. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I think it is, you know, it's uh, a lot of workplace negligence. Um, yeah. And the story boils down to, we don't want to tell you what happened. The last guys. Just, you know, <laughs> yeah. Just keep doing your job. Because they did. They, they resumed, you know, when, uh, when the Hesperus, the relief vessel found, uh, that there was nobody home uh, via Joseph Moore. Uh, they left uh, Moore and four others on the rock to hold over, to keep the lighthouse operational while they uh, sent word to Robert Muirhead. And he came out and he's like, oh, I just I just saw the guys earlier in the month. You know, everything was fine. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, yeah, one guy had a crazy look. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then, and then like, it takes 10 days to like, yeah. You, now <laughs> your one job is to assess this. You, it takes you 10 days to investigate this and that's the best you got to come up with. So it does, it does sound like kind of a lot of cover up. <laughs> yeah. Apparently there's a movie based on all this too. Gerard oh, Butler. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's vanishing. There's been uh, a shitload of that out. Um, ghost stories and, uh, and tales told uh, books written. Um, and obviously the the poem Flannan Isle that was published in 1912, um, most of the skeptics can unify on the concept that the sensationalism began, like all the ghost stories began as a result of the poem because it had this like it it painted the tale in this like air of uh, mysticism and, and intrigue and unknown and kind of a dark vibe. Some of the obvious OSHA violations. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it's 1912. <laughs> Skeptics were skeptical that the right, earth is right. round. So. We were still shoving people fair. on the wall lines. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, I, I don't think that the uh, that the bow is tied as neatly on the, the story as people may say. Um, that's my take. You know, take with it what you will. And again, I apologize if I have been pronouncing the aisle incorrectly. I've just heard it pronounced so many different ways, and I like the name Ellen, so... <laughs> <laughs> We we know an awesome Ellen. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Mr. Riggs. You uh well actually right now we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back after this. Yeah, quick message. Right. yeah. <laughs> quick bio break. And um, we're for real, back. Quick, oh you're hold right. on, hold on. Actually I really need to take a really quick break. Hold on. Okay. No, I was gotcha. I just paused my audio because I was like, "All right, this is this is where it gets edited." <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was a fantastic story. We'll, we'll, we'll... Um, right on. Glad you liked it. I, I had a uh, so many like details and notes here. I was just 
trying to like make sense of it as I was going back into it. Cause it's been a couple of weeks since I looked at him. So I apologize yeah. if it jumped around a bit, but, uh, no, it's fine. It's fantastic. Yeah. The, uh, the story still gives me the red ass. Like, honestly, it really <laughs> does. Like when I read it, because like, you know, we, <laughs> give me the red ass. It's just like, we've, we've been in, uh, like the blue collar industry like we know that work you know and we know how management can fuck people right oh, yeah. and so like we're looking at this story from 100 years ago and like three dudes lives were lost and it's just kind of like dude i don't know man maybe something could have been avoided or maybe this could have been better handled if the fucking literal northern lighthouse board had their goddamn shit together and furthermore yeah. the fucking the the fucking captain from the arctur that cock rag he's like oh yeah no lighthouse i don't know do cocaine about it you know like <laughs> do dude, what? About it. if the fucking lighthouse isn't I, like you know that, that, that you, right your fucking shuttle has a a, a tele like you can you can issue a telegram like i know you fucking yeah can, because like, it's this the fucking ss lights. archer this bro fucking lighthouse <laughs> yeah and a pretty new one, you know, at that. It's like, yeah, this motherfucker has only been operational for a year. It's not old and rickety. We should fucking see it. Yeah. Um, I missed the, uh, I forgot to detail that the, the light could be seen in, in good conditions, could be seen up to 24 miles away. Wow. So, like, if you don't fucking see that lighthouse, there's a problem. A major problem. <laughs> Yeah, that's so, that's not uh, a problem. Like, hey, it looks funny when I pee. It's more of just like, hey, who? Anyone can see while I steer the ship. Yeah. No. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like driving on the highway as a trucker. You're like, oh man, my headlights don't work. Yeah, well, <laughs> and you're just fucking rolling on. Like, yeah. what? Yeah. Well, that so. is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's a it's a very interesting tale. Um, the sensationalism of it too, like the ghost stories of it, were fucking yeah. awesome. Like yeah, I'm the, sure. The things that I read on the side were like super fucking mysterious, and there's like, um, it made me want to uh, watch the Gerard Butler film. I haven't caught it yet. Um, a few, I would say, I don't know, maybe, maybe about a month before I looked into this story. Actually, I watched. Um, the film with Willem Dafoe and oh, the, the lighthouse. Yeah, yeah, I watched yeah, that. that. that that's and, fantastic, dude. It is. It is fucking <laughs> phenomenal. Both those gentlemen just like stunning performances. Yeah, yeah. and and I just love the line. He's like, "You don't like me, lobster." Yes. Oh my god! When he does, yeah, that rant, that whole yeah. dialogue. He's like, I. He goes into this like the most diabolically poetic insult and and <laughs> ill wishing on somebody he's just like i hope yeah. that you die in the the sea buzzards take what's left of you and the sea <laughs> reclaims your soul for that which it is and he just goes and goes and goes and goes, goes. and goes yeah yeah and then finally <laughs> robert pattinson just goes fine i like your cooking <laughs> <laughs> i fucking i died fine, man. I, like your cooking. I like your cooking then and also, that's it. The, the visuals when he's staring down and 
the lighting in a black and white film, he just looks so terrifying. Yeah, yes. And I was like, I, I tipped my hat to the cinematographer for that. Oh, that's that's something yes. I aim for to get that beautiful yeah. shot. Dude, one could aspire to that level of <laughs> film capture. Uh, yeah. I think that was was that an A twenty film or uh, A twenty one or whatever the hell it is. I think it was. Okay, because they've got like a a history of making um, indie pieces that have fucking stunning cinematography. Yeah. All right. Welcome back, Mr. Riggs. It is your turn. All right. Uh-huh. I've got um I've got I got two things actually. I got two two places uh potential uh places to visit. Um I'm going with a bit of a theme. Um the theme is castles. Uh, so yeah, yeah right on. The, it's the hair. Pretty cool. It, yeah. Um. So basically, uh, the first one that I'm going to go over, uh, it's a castle. It is uh, also in the UK, actually. So it is. It is Leap Castle. Leap Castle. Okay. Castle is in the county Offaly, which again, I hope I'm saying that correctly, uh, in in Ireland, and it's this is gonna get dark and fucked up. Um, so, right on, uh, right on. Yeah. So, so Leap Castle originally built. Um, they're thinking somewhere between the 13th and 15th century. They're not entirely sure, but it was built by plan. Um, and it was, uh, I, I can't say the, the traditional Irish castle name that it went by for, for so long, uh, but they called it, uh, it translated essentially to like the Leap of the O'Bannons. Um, and a pretty dope name. Yeah, they, so they were kind of like these chieftains, the, the O'Bannons, kind of like, uh, you got to figure it's kind of like, like King and, and Duke system. Uh, where the kind of ruling clan was the O'Carrolls. And uh, the O'Bannons were just kind of like a, a secondary family that were pretty powerful, kind of ran their own thing. Um, the O'Carrolls were notorious for being like crazy violent, though, right? And the O'Bannons, not, not particularly better, but like at least a little smaller and a little less crazy. Uh, and they kind of stuck to themselves. Um, it it went back and forth over the many years between the O'Bannons and the O'Carrolls because the land itself was was pretty fertile, and so it kind of went back and forth between the O'Bannons taking back their you know the castle that they built and the O'Carrolls saying like hey like we run this shit this is ours uh, you can't have that. Um, so the first like real attempt. Um, they tried to demolish the castle when they realized they weren't going to be able to take it as the O'Carrolls. And eventually sometime in like the mid they took over. Um, and that's like the, the castle started to become like, I, I mean, I don't want to say like when the haunting story started, cause it actually started much later, more modern times, but that's when the stuff that the, up the castle, right? So, so the, the O'Bannons really only use the castle to like live in and maybe like prison killed it. Uh, the O'Carrolls took over and used it to just basically kill. Um, well, 
Yeah. So the Carol's constant family wow. struggles. Particular one known as the Bloody Chapel incident, uh, in the middle of a mass, like no joke. This is like the entire O'Carroll family, like they're all related to each other in some way, is at a mass, and this brother just like burst into the chapel and straight up just skewers the priest. Whoa! Like straight through, kills him. The guy falls across like the altar and dies in front of the family, and the family just like breaks out in the middle of the church and they just start fighting, right? Um, what the fuck? Conscious wars for like who, who calls the shots in the family. It's it's crazy. Um, eventually, through marriage, uh, or the the castle passes to to the Darby family, uh, and this is when actually you start to get uh, the the mystique side of things, right? Uh, in question, uh, in the Darby family, um, Mildred was she wrote like gothic novels uh and she's the one that started like having seances and like trying to communicate to the violent spirits trapped in the castle and let's face it like everyone knew this place had a really messed up right really kind of just help drive this notion that like oh well you know this this spooky up here you know with her husband and and their you know this place had the crazy o'carrolls and the o'bannons always fighting and killing each other um Eventually, that starts to kind of fade a little bit as as people kind of probably presume bored, you know, with the, the constant haunting stories. Uh, like there aren't haunted castles across the UK, you know. Right. Yeah. Uh, and and so, <laughs> um, it's it's later. Uh, this is um, it's now actually it's being renovated. Like you can go visit. It's it's owned by uh, a musician. Um, and his Sean and Ann Ryan, I guess they're like huh. semi-famous there. They bought the castle. They're like, oh, cool. Hey, Tom people died here. Let's buy it. Um, Surprise, Nicholas but, Cage discount. didn't take it yet. Yeah, right. So, so, <laughs> but like the thing is, so in in the early 1900s, though, uh, when during one of the many owners who renovate this castle, like it kind of kept passing from person to person who tried to like turn a buck, you know, renovate yeah. it, do music or whatever else. Uh, during hundreds early 1900s uh some workers during the renovation found an oubliette like one of those um those dungeon doors that are kind of like big in the ground like you can't see like like a secret hatch kind of thing right, you know yeah. you like move the statue and there's like a little trap door kind of thing um, there was a door leading to the dungeon at the base of the castle and at the bottom of it were just tons of human skeletons on wooden spikes. Gross. Jesus. Good uh, Lord, and when they, Yeah, and when they cleared it all out, it took three cartloads to remove the bones. Whoa. Jeez. Yeah, three three whole mine carts full of human bones. And you got to figure they're like hundreds of years old bones. So like, they're probably not even whole. Like these mush shaved down bones and it's yeah, still filled. Yeah, yeah three yeah. whole mine carts of human remains um ridiculous and and the here's <laughs> some of the one of the the skeletons had a pocket watch on it Whoa. dating from sometime like mid 1800s so Whoa. crazy shit went down in this place <laughs> long after the o'carroll's bloodbath you know like ended and he, it kind of begs the question right like the pocket like was someone using it like intentionally 
you know, as like like one of these renovators was running some sort of sick like torture yeah. porn stuff on the side. I don't know, or was yeah. was this a case yeah. where maybe uh, someone fell during all this and they discovered it and they just tried to like hide it? Oh, yeah. uh, let's just tell the place, you know. And and but like as far as the mid eighteen hundreds, like people were being thrown down into this pit onto wooden fell accidentally and then yeah, yeah. like i don't know covered up because let's face it when they found the oubliette like it had been covered with like a statue um yeah. now the haunting stuff that's the stuff that started i mentioned like you know when when the the writer lived there the red lady is is the i guess we'll get into the ghost stuff this is first to, to disappear for me uh, i'm not i'm not a big uh ghost hunters guy i think that a lot of that stuff is is just kind of i think that more than enough horrifying stuff to go on there without having to go into full-on hauntings. Uh, but the Red Lady is, is a very famous uh, ghost that supposedly walks the halls with a dagger. Um, I don't think that's anywhere near as scary as the idea of someone walking in and killing their own brother over an altar in the middle of a mass. Yeah, but, true. but the Red Lady is what uh, two little girls named Charlotte and Emily who apparently run up and down a spiral staircase, um, one of whom died uh, while living in the castle. Uh, apparently during one of the many owners the place was passed from from owner to owner um okay it's it's been a couple different like well uh you know ghost investigations paranormal investigations it was on um history channel you know it was castle ghosts it's like a uh, a book series that this guy wrote but yeah, it's it's just it's a castle in Ireland, like I said, and and from what I understand, you can actually potentially at least see it today. I don't know, it, but you can actually drive by, see it today. It's it's owned by these these two kind of eccentric musicians that are doing restoration work on it. <laughs> yeah, the the place is just home to a, a bloodbath over the years. Um, I mean, people have been dying and getting slaughtered in that castle for. 500 years yeah oh, at that rate yeah. it's almost like a fucking traditional spot for homicide you know what right I mean? yeah exactly yeah That's so I mean, you gotta figure it's built sometime like mid to late 1200s maybe early 1300s and as late as like the mid 1800s yeah. at least thrown or fell into a pit of wooden spikes right That's yeah. jesus that's awful yeah. um it's uh it's pretty wild yeah, imagine it's, all the spirits uh, that are like roaming. Yeah, if <laughs> if there is a place that is haunted, uh, this is a pretty solid contender. Be right. Some really, really, and, and and not even just the, like people just dead. It's just like the violence, the hatred that's part of that spiritual fire around in the castle right now. Yeah, hatred caked into the walls, you know. Yeah, kind of like uh, you know, like the ooze in Ghostbusters too. Like oh, the, yeah. Oh, walls my God. probably yeah. absorbed a lot of negative energy. One of the walls on that place. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty wild. Like all of the the horrifying, you know, the the red wedding, you know, all the kind of like yeah. that you think is is oh my God, that would be messed up. Like a lot of that stuff just happened at this place. You right. know, it's yeah. uh, it's really wild. Uh, Three minecart loads of human remains pulled out of a of a dungeon at the base of the castle. Like I don't even want to know what that smells like. Right. 
Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. imagine yeah. Being, I mean, like, having the role of excavating that, you know, and like uncovering yeah. that. Like, if you're that person, what kind of nightmares follow, you know? Yeah, closing their eyes oh. and they see like skulls staring at yeah, them. Yeah, how can you not? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's and and the idea of a pocket watch on one of them definitely adds a certain degree of like modernity to it. Where it's like, oh my god, like this this isn't even that. You got to figure yeah. this was early 1900s. That's like your lifetime. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. People are are being yeah. dropped into wooden spikes in my. I'm unloading these. Yeah, it's uh, if you're if you're into if you're into hauntings, uh, I would I would absolutely add uh, Leap Castle to your list of further because. Um, stuff went down at Leap Castle. <laughs> what happens in Leap Castle stays at Leap Castle. Yeah. Out with cards. <laughs> to say it's, the least, yeah. Yeah. Um. So that. Um. Ooh, wow. My my other one is uh a little bit a little bit brighter, um a little more interesting. This is a personal because I've actually also been there. Uh. The other one is Coral Castle, which is a bit of a stretch uh, in terms of castle. It's simply the name Coral Castle. I don't know that I would quite qualify it as a full uh, castle, um, but uh, for anybody in in ever traveling through Florida, uh, if you would hey. ever dare to <laughs> place. I've heard um, that place is haunted as well. Yes. So Coral Castle is, is or, or Coral Castle Museum now, as they're calling it, uh, is a place in Homestead, which if you're not familiar with the area, it's I... a little in Miami. Um, so, so it's a little side of Miami. And, and I got to say, if for any reason you ever go to, it's probably only like an hour drive, maybe at most in the hour or from the Miami airport. Miami for any reason, going to the airport or otherwise for travel, I would absolutely say it is fully worth your time to schedule a bit of a detour to swing by this place. I think admission when I was there was only like maybe 20 bucks, you know, 25 bucks. Oh, wow. And it, it'll really only take you a couple hours to like do a tour or whatever else. It's not, it's not very big, but it is very peculiar. Um, so Coral Castle was built Edward Leedskalnan, um, and he is he is from Latvia. Uh, he emigrated here when he was uh, a young man after uh, his attempt to uh, woo his like thirteen or fourteen year old, I believe, cousin. Uh, <laughs> to double check, actually, on this point. Uh, it's not it's not a great particular story. Um, That's why he came you know, to Florida. He, <laughs> yeah, where all the dates their cousins go. Um, he, uh, you know, he he tried the whole uh, boombox outside her window. It didn't work. She did, and so he was like, "I'm just gonna fuck out of here and go to Florida." Um, so so, Edward Leeds Scalnan is a peculiar guy um, for for a lot of reasons. Um, <laughs> he was he was 26. Uh, I'm sorry. Actually, you know what? I take that back. I did. To be fair to him, I did goof. They were not related. Uh, okay. 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 But, I was going to say he was like the OG it. Florida man. Okay. But he was. Yeah. He was 26. <laughs> she was 16 when he 
when she left him. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he was, let's face it, this era, I mean, I don't know that our relationship and how we treat the immigrants has gotten super great, but um, especially at being of, of Latvian descent, living in Florida, um, he was already very much an outcast. And to make it all the stranger, uh, he had uh, allegedly, he had a terminal case of tuberculosis. Um, and so he was just always kind of, you know, sickly and coughing and not in great shape. And people just kept away from him. They thought it was super weird, dude. Um, he was about five, one, maybe five, two, uh, super just small frame, tiny guy, um, frail, sickly. And <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you're not frail and sickly. You just, yeah. Yeah. So so he decided Steve Rogers pre super soldier serum. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, Steve Rogers probably could have kicked this guy's ass. Um so so he uh, starts building this originally just calls Ed's place. Um he purchases this piece of land um and he starts building in the Everglades. Um and he builds this place from stone uh, coral, essentially, like large piece of coral. Now, these pieces of coral several tons. Uh, the largest piece is a wall that, if I remember correctly, is is in the like mid twenties, like twenty five. Absurd Holy number shit. like this, right? Um, the total grounds of Coral Castle, it consists of about 1,100 tons of, of stone. Uh, the largest piece is eight feet tall. That's the really big piece that I mentioned. 20s. Oh, largest stone. Here you go. Actually, I goofed. The largest stone weighs exactly 30 tons. Oh, wow. um, God damn. It's, it's about 25 feet tall. Uh, the two monoliths and the wall itself is about... Uh, so, um, he starts building this and no he works mostly by night so no one can see him he has them brought in on a truck because he's you know this laughing immigrant and he's sick and whatever else like the trucker would literally just like leave the truck there for days on end come back and the trucks would be unloaded wait what uh, yeah is there like a and team on site then that's the thing yeah so the guy built it entirely by himself this whole thing it was what? built in like the, it, yep it was built in like the like the hundreds like 1910s 1920s the the sign in fact he carved a sign on the front of the rock that just said ring bell twice if if he if he needed him um nobody talked to him no one did anything the guy the only thing that he said is that he has the he knows the secret to how the pyramids were is his words um all of i mean his, i guess he proved it you know yeah right so so all of are available and on display at the museum you can see them you can google these two they're wild it's literally just like a bunch of like crappy like wooden rakes and chisels and like random metal pieces he has like this little perpetual motion machine that just kind of like spins indefinitely um literally nobody has ever been able to propose any kind of legitimate explanation of how he did it so obviously there's tons of you know oh well, it's magic he had 
Valley and technology, whatever else. And and what's funny is is when you look into this, you'll find all these articles from these like dickhead engineers and physicists who are like, actually, he didn't use magic, he used physics. And it's like, right? No, we get that. Yeah, that's not the mystery. Yeah, exactly. How so, did physics get him to? Because right, physics exactly. would say he couldn't fucking do it. <laughs> and, and one of the so like a number of the walls, if you look at them when you go there too, you'll see that there is these like perfectly chiseled holes that are like dead center with weird circles etched around them. And so there's all these, you know, like oh well, obviously he used this circle somehow. He used a tool, and you're like, right, you know, I get that too. But what the hell did he do? Right. Because this <laughs> is at a time where there are no cramps. There are no, like, a pulley system, like, can only pull so, you can only create so much more exponential lift from a human body than, you know, to, to not lift 30 tons, right? Yeah. Especially like, a diminutive like, body. Right. Like, yeah. I can use a pulley way more weight than I would be able to lift on my own, but not 30 tons, right? I, the whole thing is is wild to see. Uh, my favorite story of them is um, one of the the feats is a eight or nine foot tall, right on the back half of the castle, and the castle was moved later. Um, this part they did by trucks. Again, the, he'd load up the stuff, the trucks would drive out. No one has any idea how he got on the trucks, but. Um, <laughs> He, he moved it to Homestead uh, where he wanted to be closer to the hospital because he was living in this place because he's a friggin' weirdo. Right. Uh, and the hospital for his treatments, right? Um, so there's a bunch of rocking chairs in there and, like, cool stuff. Um, the rocking chairs at one point used to actually rock because they were so perfectly balanced, even though they were, like, you know, two-ton chairs. <laughs> uh, you could very easily rock it. Wait, the chairs uh, were also made out of the... Yes, the, everything the is. Yep. Like yeah, the, whole, the, chairs, the whole shebang. Yes, the chairs, wow. the tables, everything. Like, he put bedding over, like, yeah. It's wild. And it's also really creepy. He built this this place to, like, try and get his, like, lover to move. to. And so, like, he built, like, a little, like, two beds next to each other. And then, like, a little crib area for, like, when they have a baby. Guys, Whoa. weird. It's a Whoa. depressing story. Um, but, uh, the chairs used to rock. They don't now, they actually put stuff underneath them to avoid them from rocking. Cause people were trying to make like, you know, you hurt themselves. So like they just like, right. okay, we're rocking. Uh, but they used to originally, as the story goes, rock that like a, a child could sit in the chair and, uh, cause they're so perfectly balanced. Damn. Uh, my favorite of all of these things, and this is especially where like all the engineers, like, oh, we've physics like great good call dickhead um right yeah of these is there was originally a gate on the back half of the castle um with a roughly um let's see if i can find the actual measurements this is an outdoor gate or like a gate going yeah so it's like a revolving door like um like you see in the you know like the the buildings in new york you know you run you run around oh yeah yeah Right, right. So it's kind of like that, right? Like he builds this. It's it's one slab though, right? It's one big slab on a on a on a uh, on an axle that you can push and you can just kind of keep around, right? It's now it's now actually barred off, so no one can touch it. But at one point, uh, so picture this ground. 
It's an opening in the wall. It's this massive slab, the width of the opening, that, like the bookcase, secret bookcases in movies and Scooby-Doo, right? Okay. Uh, and a big piece of coral on top of the swivel piece, right? Um, so it creates a doorway almost. Right. Um, the gate in question continued to spin so easily that a child could it and sometimes during strong winds he had to put coconut shells underneath the gate to keep the wind from blowing the gate oh dude wow. the hell it is what's it lubricated with yeah it's a roughly eight foot tall piece of stone that weighs roughly 14 tons wow. jesus uh the oh sorry oh you know what? i did goof a little bit i embellished a little bit i did manage to find the numbers here it is an eight foot tall it is nine tons still yeah, still, even still if one ton if you've engineered something yeah. to weigh uh, several tons and the wind can move it yes. like holy hell a nine ton piece of uh eight feet tall that spins and opens now uh at, long after this guy died he eventually ended up a um uh, I'll be right back. Uh, he died at the hospital. He never came back. Uh, he, he had, a, I believe, a, sh a stroke related to some of his existing health issues. Um, either way, uh, this after a while, they turned the the castle into into kind of like a monument museum, right? They started charging admission, etc., and it became a little off the beaten path site for people to go and see things. Um, the gate inevitably, over time, stopped moving. Uh, to move and so uh the university of miami's engineering department as part of a kind of way to do some local work get all excited about this and and really hit a spot that's close to home they decided for this big project that the university of miami's engineering department was going to work fix the gate right um it took millions of dollars uh a massive crane tons of engineers they managed to get the thing up off the axle rod and found that driven through the center of the piece so perfectly was a steel rod. Um, no one knows how he stood it up. <laughs> like No one knows how he managed to, yeah. to drill so perfectly without motorized tools. Because bear in mind, again, there were no motorized drills back then or electric drills. He's literally like grinding it with like those drills that you see where you, you grab one end, one end still, and you kind of you just slowly yeah. oh, yeah. old-fashioned old fashioned yeah old-fashioned yeah bored a hole the perfect center of this piece so perfectly up to make a gate uh it took them years millions of dollars and a crane you know modern tech to get this gate to start spinning on its axle again and they did uh it worked for about three or four years and then immediately rusted over and and now Jeez. it's it's just barred off, so you can't touch it. <laughs> so this like this guy, guy literally figured out how to do it, like the the Egyptians. Yeah, how guy did it himself. He was he was five one. You said. Let me actually. You know what? Let me. I let me look this up. Actually, what were the like the ceilings like? He was exactly know? five feet tall. Okay. Wow. And weighed a hundred pounds. Five. So I'm feet bigger than even. that guy. Yeah. But he five. made. 100 pounds eight foot tall door but he's he only five foot, foot tall, tall and managed to put a 
25 ton, I'm sorry, 30 ton wall on one side. So, all right. So around this time, like humans are gradually getting taller over time. So I, I have to imagine that like, even though he was diminutive in stature, um, it wasn't as drastically diminutive then, I guess, as like still, now. No, still, still very definitely. small. Still very small. Yeah. Still super small. But yeah. Like the <laughs> average height of the individual, like an individual, I'm, I'm just, I'm intrigued because like, why did he, obviously he knew what he's doing. Like we know that, but like, uh, that he was so, or had to have been so meticulous in his craft as an evident in the architecture, you don't accidentally, um, build something this immaculate you know like it's everything is with purpose so that being said with what purpose did he have in mind to build something like a doorway that was three feet taller than him i yeah honestly i he wanted to the whole thing was built to to impress this this girl that like never responded to his letters okay Uh, i believe she actually remarried or well remarried she ended up getting married uh not long after he left so he never got any correspondence back from her he just continued to make this place and write letters in hopes that like this castle becoming famous and whatever else would be like a lure to her to like come back to him so So he he just built this infatuated yeah Yeah. yes he just built this crazy place good Gravy! Uh, Holy hell, man! Is, yeah, it is. Uh, it is a very peculiar place. Outside the the, um, there is a a sign. Um, I gotta I gotta look it up. I have a picture of it somewhere actually. Um, if, yeah, it says uh, you will be seeing on. Un- Accomplishment. <laughs> it's out uh, understatement of that century. Yeah, it is. It is. It's like twenty bucks admission. I highly recommend it. It only takes couples every time. If you are ever anywhere near Miami for any reason, you should absolutely take a little drive off the beaten path. And it is just weird as hell. And I'll give it to a really great job with not leaning too hard into like aliens did this like they'll just tell you exactly what they know right <laughs> okay, and people cool, they cool. try and fish it out of them you know yeah like so... whatever and they're like we don't so know where do we they keep the aliens yeah. <laughs> yeah right oh is this uh is this where the anal probing proceeds right, yeah. right here the anal probing so uh, but... are there any like sort of um aside from the the circles like in in the structure are there any sort of like uh like odd carvings or anything that like uh, might resemble like a form of communication that's alternative to what would have been the norm at the time. No, I mean, it's, it, there's no, there's no like weird alphabets or letters or anything okay. like that. He does have some, some, a lot of like crescent moons and other like weird symbols that he kind of likes, but they, they think that that was really more of just him being kind of weird. There's also some cool stuff with a a really well-made sundial in the center and some other kind of quirks about it that are all just interesting. He was very interested in astrology. The actual, no, the only thing that we know is that some of the walls and some of the structures have like perfect holes drilled to the center with like a big circle markings around it. 
Okay. So the idea is that he must have used those to, to do something. And that's the best part is that the guy doing the tour is just like, you know, he tells you this and then people ask questions like, well, what was he doing? They're like, no, we don't know that. We're literally just telling you what we know. Right. Here's the hole. It's perfectly centered. We don't know right. what that means. Yeah. Like, yeah. We don't know what he did with that. But it's, it's, uh, and if he ever suspected that somebody was watching him while he was building, he would just stop right then and there. Like, if he heard something, he would come and he had to build little inside to get to the top of the wall because he couldn't see over the walls. So he'd build these steps and he would just run up and look over the wall. And if he felt that maybe somebody was there, he was being watched, he would just and just do nothing for the next two until like he felt it was safe to start working again. And he did most of this by by night or mostly by night. Yeah, that's another like incredible. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) Yep. It's a very strange individual. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. Odd duck to say the Uh, least. Man, <laughs> damn, that's incredible, though. All right, well, I guess uh, this is where I do my part. <laughs> Fire away. All right. Okay. Since mine's... We're coming up on uh, the two... Two, two hour mark. So we yeah. have to start. This is okay. So we're so good. At the... Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right on. The Denver Airport. Denver traditionally has been one of the busier cities in the United States to have one of the busier airports in the United States. 1989, grounds broken on this uh, airport that a lot of the locals believed wasn't necessary. They didn't think it was uh, worth the billion dollar estimated um, funds to build this thing. The mayor, Wellington Webb, uh, inherited this mega project. Um, they, the builders wanted to ba- make this one of the biggest airports in the United States. So in 94, they had this new uh, baggage system that was supposed to be the fastest in the world. Like you get off the plane, bags hit the ground, they have a tunnel system brings it right to the uh, actual airport. So this mega project started going over budget. It went uh, behind 16 months behind schedule, and it cost them about 4.8 billion. Imagine an 8.2 billion dollar uh, airport in 1995. Uh, so four billion, almost five billion dollars in '95. So that's almost 10 billion dollars today's money for an airport. Uh, the design layout for the airport's also been very controversial. Some believe it even looks almost from the air, almost like a swastika. Uh, The layout eerily does look like a swastika. One of the other strange things about this uh, airport is the infamous blue horse, Lucifer. It's a blue statue that has glowing red eyes and blue spikes for its mane. One of the craziest things is that it actually killed its owner. The owner of the the guy who created and sculpted this uh, statue, uh, the statue fell and one of the blades on its back severed his uh, leg artery, the one in the thigh, killing him almost immediately. 
The other strange thing about this airport is some, there's um, been tons of tunnels built underneath the airport. And some people believe that uh, it's <laughs> a bomb shelter uh, for the elite. And one of those conspiracy theories. The other conspiracy theory is it's supposed to be a headquarters for the New World Order or a or the uh, Illuminati, if you will. That's the <laughs> term for it. Um, the other believe that it may be uh, a spot for uh, the future government if anything collapse. Some even say that it's uh, got creatures being hidden underneath. Some say they've seen creatures with like thousand arms and thousand eyes and a thousand legs crawling and scratching its way through the tunnels underneath them underneath the airport some even say that it's a uh, home of the lizard people a very popular uh, conspiracy theory that there's an alien race of lizard people who are malevolent who are trying to conquer the United States or conquer the world actually another one of the creepy things about this airport is that it has gargoyle statues that are encased in luggages that uh, hover above and look over as a everyone picks up their baggages from their baggage claim. Other creepy things include creepy artwork called The Children of the World Dream of Peace. Shows of scenes of war and death anchored by a gas-masked soldier wielding both a sword and a machine gun. While the other depicts children happily playing around the globe dressed in colorful and traditional clothing and laying down their weapons beneath a rainbow of peace. Similarly, one section of Peace and Harmony with Nature shows children mourning the death of three women and the extinction of numerous animals. People believe this could be a, a metaphor for humans' global impact on the planet. Some even may say that it's uh, just, just crazy artwork just to show off some guy's weird fever dream. I personally believe it might be just a metaphor of how we're, what we're doing to the climate. You know, humans are pushing, pushing, pushing climate to the brink. And the mass gas soldier with the gas mask wielding machine, a sort of a machine gun is supposed to be symbolizing humanity's sort of uh, craving for violence and anger. And the gas mask supposed to represent a man who's preparing for a uh, oxygen depletion pollution. Some say it's an anti-theme of war and death, environmental destruction. Some say it could be even the uh, uh, sort of a uh, canary in the coal mine to show off that there's going to be another world war. And it's sort of a uh, walkthrough, picture by picture, of what will happen. Other creepy things is um, disappearances. There have been disappearances on the premises. Bodies have been found. Some guy even was found with his arms and legs cut off, and they found his dent, his head, and they it was so deformed that they had to use dental records to identify the body. One of the creepiest things, though, is that the fact is it's no one knows really who built this. The company who built this, their funds came from nowhere. No one knows where this company had almost four, almost five billion dollars 
to develop this this monstrosity. There's countless other myths and legends connected to this airport. There's atomic symbols for gold and silver. There's a Freemason symbol etched. Actually, it's a whole statue and sort of um, memorial for the Freemasons. They had an exhibition called Conspiracy Theories Uncovered, celebrating some of the airport's most notables. Alien skull that was made by employees and planted during construction. I mean, who does that? That's so strange. The Regional Ground and Transportation District operates A-line rail services between DIA, which is Denver International Airport, and the downtown Denver Station. It's a 37-minute trip. One of the strange things, though, is it was three people were killed during the creation of this. And you may say, like, oh, that sounds like construction issues. But it all comes down to all three killed were mysterious. They, they had no names. No one knew who they were, but they were somehow on the work crew. The facilities are also kind of strange in themselves. The actual airport itself was built to look like a... <laughs> supposed to be the mountains. Some say it's a circus tent. Some even say that this, it's haunted with the deaths of the workers. <laughs> who, who knows what spirits could be traveling around in that location. The craziest thing, though, is a lot of these myths are just actually true. The giant blue horse sculpture really did fall and kill its owner. This layout really does look like it's a swastika or some sort of symbol. And with Freemasons symbols and like sort of statue, it made it seem very creepy because who really puts Freemasonry artwork in their, it's supposed to be a public place. Not owned, you know, owned by the city. So that's strange in itself. The And the artwork, the artwork itself, very disturbing. There's people who are getting on a plane. I would be disturbed to see any type of like death or destruction uh, plastered on anything while I'm about to get on a plane. But what bothers me the most though is the fact when this was built, why was it built? They, they wanted it to be the biggest airport in the U.S. And it has, it has become. But also it just seemed like the, you know, the citizens and even the, the governor thought that the current, at the time, uh, the, their airport was sufficient enough. So they wanted to build this place out of the way. That's why a lot of conspiracy theorists believe that it could be a, uh, like a new Air Force station, sure, like the Cheyenne Mountain. And then going back to the underground bunker, the post-apocalyptic scenario. It's one of those situations where it's, does the government know something? Because people believe that the government had hand in building this airport. Because again, the company who built it pulled almost $5 billion, which was equivalent to almost $10 billion in today's money, out of nowhere. 
So there had to be some sort of black projects, uh, unknown funding, which the only thing could really point out would be is, you know, some black op skunk work funding from the U.S. government and military complex. The tiles in the Great Hall that say AUAG represent a virus of Australian antigen. <laughs> you know, and it's also go it's a symbol for gold and silver which if you're post-apocalyptic world what's the most thing besides food water and ammo gold and silver will be still tradable there's also a time capsule when the time capsule was built it was stamped with a bunch of letters and symbols these letters included the new world airport commission many take that organization which doesn't exist to be a reference which some describe as a new world order a government organization will rule humanity after an apocalyptic event. And the company who helped organize the event opening it? The New World Airport Commission. And including with the masonry symbols of the Illuminati. And a secret one way is buried underneath the, the facility. It's just a strange, creepy place. As Lucifer greets you at the door, and his eyes glow red, with the unknown money being funneled into this place, it makes you really wonder, what is Denver Airport? So, uh, as, uh, for our first episode, this was fantastic. Do you guys have any uh, departing information? Anything, any comments, anything you want to say? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about these things and share some stories. Here's some awesome intrigue. Um, freaking stellar opportunity. Look forward to doing more of it. Um, I like examining uh, like supernatural phenomena under a skeptical lens and kind of um, not necessarily like debunking, but I like going into that third layer of mystery where we have this opportunity to uh, look into the explanations that are offered, like the rooted, grounded, earthen explanations for places, and then scrutinize those further. So it's it's been a lot of fun. And also the fact is, it's like, I like all of our brains. <laughs> they, they, we, I like you your know, brain. I like your brain. <laughs> but like, I, I, that's one of the reasons why you know, I wanted to do a show like this, because I feel like, the paranormal topic has been talked a lot, but we're such highly evolved creatures um, that I, I feel I feel like our opinions and our methods of breaking down in the scientific way uh, is enlightening for a lot of people. And also, you know, I I just love talking about paranormal stuff. I love, I, I, you know, and sometimes I'm yes, I'm a sucker for it, but again. That's one of the reasons why I like having a, a, a co-host to sort of be like, hey, you know, you're totally sucking the teeth of this story. Uh, yeah, it's a here's... <laughs> it's a way to kind of figure out what, what other people think of it. It's yeah. true, you know, you don't, you can't have, I mean, you literally can't have the answers without the questions first. So you got to ask the questions. Yeah. And uh, definitely can't wait to do more episodes. And for everyone out there, uh, 
you know, like it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you can find a podcast. This is going to be out there. And also check out our Facebook page too, Black Site Files Podcast. Hell yeah, do it because we love you. Hey, hey, shopping Costco, we love you. And any any other comments? No, man, this is good. This is a good time. I'll uh, look up and, and research myself now because this is exciting. Nice. Excellent. I love having new rabbit holes to go down as far as Google goes. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Let's true, do it. true, true. True, true, true. And uh, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.